Hello and welcome once again to Ultimate Motorcycling's weekly podcast, Motos and Friends. My name is Arthur Coldwells. This week's podcast is brought to you by Yamaha Motorcycles. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance by checking it out at yamahamotorsports.com or you can see it for yourself at your local dealer. This podcast is also brought to you by Shoeberth Helmets and the new Shoeberth C5. This week's episode features senior editor Nick DeSena's impressions of the new KTM RC390. The entry-level KTM has always been an impressive motorcycle that has sold extremely well. However, the factory has now taken the bike to another level with top-spec features that are typically found on flagship machines. Clearly, KTM has realized that even smaller engine machines should have high-spec suspension, brakes, and electronics packages. Nick tells us how well the new RC390 is equipped and what he thought of riding the smaller displacement rocket. In the second segment, I chat with automotive and motorcycle industry icon Gordon McCall. Gordon is the director of motorsports at the Quail Lodge and Golf Club in Carmel Valley, California. This weekend of Saturday, May the 14th, sees the annual Quail Motorcycle Gathering restart after its COVID-forced hiatus. Having attended every one of the previous motorcycle gatherings, personally, I'm very happy that the event is back on schedule. Gordon chats about the event and a little of what's happening this year. It's a great event, and if you feel like a trip to the gorgeous Quail Lodge in Carmel Valley, you'll get to meet Gordon, guest of honour Roland Sands, and of course a large number of stunning motorcycles too. From all of us at Ultimate Motorcycling, we hope you enjoy this episode. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of supersport machine. It's called Our World. And the Yamaha YZF-R7 is your gateway. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle, as well as experienced riders seeking a fully fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque, providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favorite canyon curves. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. Yeah, we did um, a nice little track day, courtesy of KTM at Streets of Willow, which is uh, a sort of secondary racetrack at Willow Springs International Raceway, an extremely illustrious facility. Uh, it's been repaved, hasn't it? Yeah, Streets has been repaved after many, 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 many years. And <laughs> right. uh, about 98% of it is absolutely excellent. The only part that I didn't repave is the skid pad area. And although I didn't get an official justification as to why that didn't get repaved, I assume it's because it's called the skid pad and cars are just going to screw up the asphalt. But anyway, 
the the actual purpose was to ride the 2022 KTM RC390, which boasts whole lot of updates. I mean, aesthetically, it's a pretty big diversion from the, uh, you know, dating back to the original RC390 that came out and it maintained its looks as well as its right, as well as its, you know, ergonomics for quite a long time up until this year, pretty much. Yeah, the looks have really changed a lot, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. And then there's a lot of, you know, side benefits to just the looks. Um, the engine is by and large the same the same, you know, single cylinder motor, the, the uh, 373cc engine uh, from the last generation of the RC390. So, you know, same horsepower and torque specs. It actually gains just a little bit of torque because of a new airbox, but, you know, realistically, same engine. Um, and the other kind of a big benefit this year is with the chassis. So it does have a new frame, relatively similar to the last uh, iteration of the trellis frame. The couple little tweaks, and now you have adjustable suspension, um, not fully adjustable fork, but you get compression rebound damping that actually is effective. You also have a shock that has a spring preload and rebound damping adjustment. And that's unheard of in the lightweight class. I mean, when we talk about budget bikes like the uh, YZF-R3, the Ninja 400, Suzuki GSX uh, S250, whatever Suzuki's is, that one. All of these have non-adjustable suspension and the KTM is coming out swinging with WP Apex adjustable suspension, not fully adjustable, but you know it actually makes a difference. You also have um, uh, some updates to the wheels. Uh, just reducing rotating mass and unsprung weight, as well as the brakes. So there's a lot to talk about here, and we'll just kind of start chipping away at it. Okay, sounds good. If the motor is the is pretty much the same, it really sounds like the big upgrade might be the suspension. It is, it is. And the other thing that I forgot to mention too is that it now has a kind of full suite of electronics. Oh, okay, that's that's big. That's a big change. Yeah. Yeah, so it, you know, it has traction control, adjustable ABS modes, and an up-down quick shifter. So like the adjustable suspension, wow. you know, these are features that are pretty much unheard of in this class of motorcycle. Wow, that's awesome. Quick shifter, up and down on a, on a 390. Indeed. And you also have a quite fancy full-color TFT dash pulled directly from the 790-890 uh, iterations of motorcycle. So if you're familiar with that, well, looks the same here. That's about time. The instrument panel on that was really pretty difficult to read before. Yeah. But just the, you know, the sort of the crappy little LCD that was never quite bright enough. And, you know, I didn't hate it, but uh, I didn't like it. So that is a welcome change. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it was, it was dated when it came out, we'll say, and that, that's a kind of way of <laughs> yeah. putting it. But right. You know, the, I guess one of the main things to start with is the suspension. And, oh. you know, this is just one of the many sort of class leading features that the RC390 is boasting, you know, when you look at it just on paper. So, of course, it does have the WP Apex fork, adjustable for compression and rebound, uh, one to each leg. And you also have the shock uh, spring preload adjustment and rebound damping adjustment. And that's sort of the big thing that you just don't get in this class of bike. Typically, 
these motorcycles are sprung and damped in a way that is geared towards compliance, making them really approachable and sort of soft, we'll say, for beginner riders. And when you don't have any range of adjustment, you just ride the bike as is. Now, having raced and, and own a Ninja 400 and raced it with stock suspension, that can provide a pretty big limitation, we'll say. Um, so having this range of adjustment is a huge benefit. And we started you know, this test at a track day at Streets of Willow, really cool, fun, uh, technical racetrack at Willow Springs International Raceway. We also did some street riding to you know, get a full sort of uh, understanding of the motorcycle. But with the fork, you get 30 clicks of adjustment. And that's a pretty wide range just in general. So on the lower end of the adjustment range with you know, your dampers fully open, the thing is, as you might expect, fairly soft. And as you start cranking everything down, you can really tighten up that damping and start getting a chassis that is a lot more responsive, a lot more planted, and also stands up to whatever you might be throwing at it in terms of hard braking at the racetrack. Um, without really giving up compliance or, or, or comfort in a road setting where it's not going to be as consistent as a freshly paved uh, racetrack surface. You know, you're going to be dealing with bumps and bruises and things like that. And in that regard, the KTM's lightweight plus it's, you know, just edging towards that sportier uh, sort of top suspension package that you can get out of the, uh, out of the fork and shock when you really start wrenching things down. You know, it, it strikes a good balance there. And that's probably, I, I would say that's probably the biggest benefit for me on this motorcycle. I would, I would also venture to suggest that not just the adjustability, it's probably better quality suspension overall anyway. In other words, it's not just the same suspension with a bit of adjustability, it's probably better, better suspension overall, I, I would think. Did you find that? Yes, um, if we're talking about the, the class at large, because one of the key components that you know anyone will see right away just looking at photos is that this has a properly sporty upside down fork or inverted uh, fork. So typically an inverted fork uh, adds in chassis stiffness overall, because unlike a traditional fork, which is found on the YZF-R3, Ninja 400, and you know its direct competitors, that fork is a standard old school, you know, right side up fork. And you can introduce more flex into those suspension components than something like this in most cases. So yeah, you get a lot more stiffness. I would say a lot more feedback. The suspension quality is definitely a noticeable step up. And then you also have the adjustability, which really, um, if you're looking at the KTM RC390, you're probably thinking about things in a sportier mindset. You're not going to have to go ahead and spring for aftermarket suspension and drop, you know, anywhere from a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars to two thousand dollars when it's all said and done. I would really be inclined to, you know, just for my own purposes and customization, take this bike and just adjust things like oil weight and spring weight, and that would be a couple hundred dollar fix. And just use the the damping 
adjustment that I have available to me. And so I think you can do a lot with this motorcycle in terms of suspension without really throwing too much money at it, which can't be said of the R3 or Ninja 400. If you do want adjustment of any kind, you're going to have to, you know, install cartridges and, and do things like that, swap out the shock. Um, you can change out oil weights and go to something beefier with the springs and things like that. But at the end of the day, you still have no adjustment. So that's just right. a, a huge advantage right off the top. Sure, sure. So did you, I mean, is there a noticeable difference in the handling or, or just the way it handles bumps? I mean, especially going through sort of bumpy corners. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not that you're going to really feel that on the racetrack, but, but if you did a street ride, there must have been some something that was noticeable, surely. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you can play with the, the you know, fork damping pretty easily because it just has the dirt bike style uh, twisty knobs on the top, and you can just do that by hand. Um, so riding around, you can kind of play with settings and do it as you go. Um, the, the shock takes a little more adjustment. But, yeah, of course, you know, just playing with settings in the canyons and doing things on the street, you can make it, you know, Charmin soft, we'll say, and then tighten things <laughs> up to not quite what a, a heavier motorcycle would need for sportier riding, but it definitely changes the, the characteristic of, of its, uh, you know, chassis traits, uh, we'll say, you know, it, it definitely gives you more braking support, uh, gives you more support when accelerating, um, you know, it's not diving under braking when you actually start tightening things down. And it also just gives you a lot more mid-corner stability, uh, which is super important on a lightweight bike like this, which is sort of defined by high corner speeds and maintaining your momentum. Uh, that's sort of the, the riding style that you need to employ when riding a bike like this. So moving along, you uh, said that there's a full suite of electronics. It is. Before we dive into that, I would like to talk about the, um, the other benefits with the chassis, just so I don't sort of lose track. So the frame, the frame is updated, and KTM really dug into its uh, sort of race heritage, we'll say. And there's some really cool stuff with the, the frame, as in, in a race application, you can actually sort of adjust the chassis stiffness, we'll say. And this is how it was explained to us, as in there's different brackets that uh, you can uh, add or remove to really fine tune chassis flex characteristics. And that's of course in a racing application for the street. It's not something you'd really think about. But the other big benefit to the handling besides the chassis is that a lot of unsprung weight has been removed from the motorcycle. So grand total in terms of unsprung weight, we're talking 7.5 pounds, and that's from the wheels and also the brake caliper assembly. So the wheels are whittled down and they're machined down to, well, they just look much slimmer than before. Um, the, the caliper assembly is now, or the caliper is now mounted directly to the, the front wheel instead of having a, a uh, internal carrier like you'd see on most floating rotors. Um, it's still a radial mounted caliper. So uh, you get a lot of braking power and radial mounted calipers are not common in a lightweight class. If I'm not mistaken, this is the only lightweight bike that uses a radial mounted caliper. So you get a lot more braking force. 
So that's 7.5 pounds of unsprung weight. That is just a huge, huge, huge benefit to handling. Because as we know, anytime you remove unsprung weight, it makes a motorcycle's ability to corner and change direction much better. The frame itself has also shed a few pounds. So they say something like 3.3 pounds. So overall, you're looking at, you know, eight, nine, 10, okay, 11 pounds, you know, lighter than before. It did gain a little weight because it has the electronics and some other features. Um, but realistically, you're still looking at a bike that's like below 370 pounds fully fueled. And another important feature, it gains an extra gallon of fuel. Um, and that's something that we've kind of noticed with previous iterations of the RC390, where, you know, it's, it, it would run out of fuel a little bit earlier than its competitors, mainly because it had less of it, not because it was worse with fuel efficiency. It just didn't carry a lot of gas. Um, okay. You know, so in terms of handling, thinking back to the, the prior iterations of the RC390, I would say this is a cut above. And... I would also say its biggest sort of um, advantage over the rest of the lightweight class is its handling. It, this thing is incredibly lightweight feeling, takes almost no effort to get onto the edge of the tire and you can just throw it around as you please. And that's something that I really enjoyed about this bike. Whether we were at Streets of Willow, carving around in some of those really fast sweeping sections or just cruising around on the street at low speeds. You know, this thing is sort of uh, incredibly docile when it needs to be and user-friendly. And then when you really start picking up the pace, it's right there with you and can really sort of, you know, stand with whether within a more experienced rider or someone that's just sort of gaining their footing in the sport bike world. It really sounds like quite a big upgrade, to be honest with you. I mean, it really, really sounds like there's a, there's a big change. You mentioned um moving along that the um there's an electronics suite with it now obviously that means different things to different manufacturers so in this case what what does that mean yeah so for the first time in the lightweight class we're seeing a three axis imu and that obviously supports cornering abs wow. lean angle detecting traction control um there are no ride modes uh, but it still uses a ride-by-wire throttle, which isn't new to the RC390. It's had one for quite a long time. You have, uh, you know, traction control, ABS, as I mentioned. Traction control is either on or off. And quite frankly, on a bike that's making these types of, uh, or this type of horsepower, you're talking about 44 horsepower and 27 foot-pounds of torque. Um, do you need traction control? No, uh, not really. But in the rain, it could definitely help, and it it definitely will benefit uh, the mindset and confidence of someone that's just learning the ropes of riding. Um, if you do ride in bad weather, then yeah, TC is gonna gonna be a benefit, no matter the horsepower of the bike. Um, the sort of critical takeaways for the electronics package is that you know on more entry level products, we'll say sometimes manufacturers tend to have their intervention thresholds quite low. And this is one of those ready to race, um, you know, things that KTM is letting shine through where it's TC doesn't conflict with aggressive riding at all. I mean, at the racetrack, I never felt it intervene once. Um, and on the street, the only time I felt it cut in is when 
I kind of assumed it would, which is over a sandy patch. And I just kind of held the throttle on to see what it would do. Um, so in that regard, it's designed for aggressive riding, which is awesome. The same can be said of the cornering ABS. You have two modes per their big bikes, which is kind of interesting. You have a road ABS mode, just slightly more conservative. And I say slightly, I mean, it really is slightly more conservative than the supermoto ABS, <laughs> which disables ABS in the rear. Uh, it still has ABS in the front in either mode. Uh, but really, the, <laughs> the way you can brake on this bike and how, how aggressive you can be with it is pretty impressive. I mean, the only time I had ABS trigger on the racetrack is <clears throat> uh, in one little panic braking moment when I was first uh, getting familiarized with the racetrack and I just sort of ham fisted the brake. Um, this is, you know, you, you do a siding lap and you're like, okay, cool, I know this place. And then you start hammering and you're like, wow, I don't know this place at all. <laughs> right. yeah. Oh, it's not that corner. I thought it was a different one. Yes. Oh, yes. Or a yeah. corner that a slight, yeah. a slight kink has now become a corner when you're going triple the speed that you were on the siding lap. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the only time, you know, with hard braking at high lean angles, you know, trail braking super deep in supermoto mode, it never once gave me issue. I mean, it's it kind of, Kind of funny because you can trigger abs you just have to slam the front end down and just cause a slide but anecdotally i was kind of playing around waiting for friends in a parking lot and was just doing little stoppies with you know the supermoto abs engaged and that you can't really do that with a lot of bikes it's not, not you know it, usually they that type of behavior will will trigger abs you can do it with certain high level uh, you know, electronic packages that will accommodate that sort of thing. But when we're talking low to mid-level electronic packages, not, it's usually doesn't accommodate that sort of riding. Now, right. so you know, big props to the electronics packages. It does add some cost, does add a little weight because you have more wiring, you know, that IMU, yada, yada, yada. But the benefits are there for people that really want to understand trail braking and still have that that cushion that margin for error and that's something that i think a lot of people appreciate um with the electronics Great. package you have that up down quick shifter and this is kind of one of the issues that we we're having on the racetrack um you know the gearbox is all the same from year to year when you talk about the engine and the quick shifter on the up throw i think works respectably well. It's a solid little unit. Um, the issue that we saw, and this is probably something that's between the quick shifter and the clutch itself, is on the auto blip or the, the clutchless downshift at super high RPM, you could get either a false neutral or it could drop gears. Um, this is something that we only saw at the racetrack and this isn't something that was exclusive to me. Uh, some of my colleagues and myself, we eventually turned off the quick shifter. That alleviated some of the problems, but I'd also note when you're not using a quick shifter and you're doing things the old school way, 
you tend to do it with a little more enthusiasm. So that may be making up the difference and making sure that you're getting that engagement into gear. Now, by enthusiasm, you mean you're a little more deliberate. Exactly. You're just doing things a little slower and you're matching the revs on the downshift. Yeah. And therefore it just helps it select the next gear a little easier. Exactly. And, and that, okay. you know, so you know, some, some of my colleagues, you know, insinuated that it was the quick shifters fault. I'm not so convinced. I think that yes, the quick shifter could, could be smoothed out a little bit, but you know, on the downshift specifically, but having some experience with racing lightweight bikes, specifically the uh, Ninja 400, I would say that a lot of it comes down to clutch packaging using really lightweight springs and at high RPM and under a lot of load. Um, sometimes those really light clutch springs and detent springs and just things like that aren't up to that task. So that's sort of the one downside with when it comes to shifting um, on the RC390. Now that's only at the racetrack and when you're really cracking the whip because if you went through the whole you know uh range of riders that were there um you know some of the the more experienced riders may have had some issues we all eventually kind of worked around it and just sort of you know did what we could still had a, an absolute blast and then some riders that were just finding their footing you know there was a couple guys that were coming from their motocross side and hadn't haven't had a lot of experience on the racetrack they didn't seem to have any issues. So I would say this is more of um, an issue that only reveals itself when you're really pushing. Because on the street, it didn't happen. When you're really extreme high revs and you're really pushing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you're on a lightweight bike, often you're carrying super high rev if you're, you know, a more aggressive rider. And in those cases, yeah, I think the clutch could probably get beefed up you know, starting out racing on my Ninja 400, it was the same thing. Um, there were some fixes for racing application on the Ninja 400, but you know, is what it is. And, um, you know, on the street, never had an issue at all. We have the ride by wire throttle, solid, super crisp, you know, very good connection to the rear end. And that wraps up the electronic stock. Very nice. Okay. So you talked about um, brakes in terms of, you know, ABS and doing a, a few little uh, hooligan experiments on the, on the skid pad. So it sounds as though the brakes have a lot of feel. I mean, the danger with fitting radial brakes to a really lightweight bike like that is I would think it would be fairly easy to cross over from, you know, aggressive and powerful to snatchy and way too much. But it sounds as though it's not like that. It sounds as though there's plenty of feel in the brakes. There is, you know, it still uses a relatively simple axial uh, master cylinder, but we have the same uh, uh, radial bi caliper that returns. The only main difference here is the, the rotor assembly um, ditching its uh, interior carrier, and now it's mounted directly to the, the wheel itself. And it's a 320 millimeter rotor, so that's bigger than most of the lightweight bikes just off the top of my head. At any rate, you know, you do get plenty of stopping power, like way more than, than you should need for, for a bike of this <laughs> size and weight. And then feel is pretty good as well. The other thing to mention with the KTM sort of in line with offering more 
we'll say premium components is that it has steel braided brake lines, which definitely help out in the feel department versus anything that's using a rubber brake line because those tend to flex uh, just under regular use. I mean, you really have to squeeze them. But the, um, the main benefit is that when you're really pushing and generating a lot of heat, a rubber brake line tends to, tends to flex under, that, under those, uh, those scenarios versus a steel braided brake line won't. And that's a huge benefit. If you take any bike and put it in a track or racing application, Exclusively, it's always going to be using uh, steel braided brake lines, simply because they're able to stand up to heat far, far better. Okay, so beyond all the sort of the mechanical parts, obviously we've got some pretty radical changes to the look, starting with the full fairing, I would think. What are your, what are your thoughts on all of that? You know, the, the traditional looks of the RC390 date back to its inception, and it's because it's a single-cylinder powered motorcycle, it's insanely thin. I mean, super, super, super thin. It's always been in that 32 inch range, which is relatively high. But again, we always got to remind listeners that it's a very thin motorcycle. It's very narrow, again, because that single cylinder motorcycle doesn't take up a lot of room between the knees. So reaching the ground is not a difficult task. Plus you have the the sort of you know plushier suspension, and I stand at five foot ten inches. I can get my boots on the deck absolutely no problem all day. So for shorter riders, something like this is going to be really appealing. But in terms of the new stuff that they've brought to the table, its looks are completely different. They used computational fluid dynamics to improve the aerodynamics for both the rider and the motorcycle. So it is more aerodynamically sound than before. But the kind of um, big takeaway here is that the seating position in relation to the handlebars, so the whole rider triangle just feels much bigger. Like we said earlier, we have a larger 3.6 gallon fuel tank that allows much more real estate when you're bracing uh, during hard braking zones and just turning. So you have more, uh, a much larger area to anchor your knee against while hanging off the bike. Um, you know, the, the clip-on handlebars themselves are adjustable for 10, you know, 10 mil, and they have sort of a wider stance, which is something that I would do for my own ergonomic preferences anyway. So when you sit on the RC390, while it is definitely a smaller motorcycle than a 600 or 1000 Supersport, um, you know, comparative bike, and the wheelbase definitely reflects that, I mean, you know, it's a fairly small motorcycle in that regard. It feels much bigger. It feels like a mature, almost, if not full-sized motorcycle in that regard. The seat has texture to it now. You know, it's, it's a very comfortable bike in that regard. Whereas when you ride something like the Ninja 400, especially in a stock configuration, you're kind of sat bolt upright. Your elbows are in a little bit. You kind of do this whole T-Rex arm thing. Whereas on this guy, it's actually a lot more aggressive. And it's sort of aimed at track work right away. Now on the street, it's not too uncomfortable either. You're not getting a lot of you know, weight into the wrists and things like that. So it's still 
still fairly comfortable on the road. Not fairly comfortable. It's, it's comfortable on the road. And at the racetrack, you can throw it around, move around in the seat. You have more, like I said, more real estate um, to brace against off the fuel tank. The, the clip on handlebars are nice and wide. So, you know, you have tons of leverage on a bike that truly doesn't need it. And, you know, the, the only thing that sort of holds you back in that regard is that the rear sets are mounted, I would say, just on the lower end of the spectrum, mainly to increase comfort. So you're not, you know, riding around with terrible knee bends the whole day. And so that does compromise your lean angle just a hair. It's not bad at all, really. You just have to be sort of cognizant of that when you're at the racetrack and carrying super high lean. But swapping out rear sets, if you're going for racetrack duty, that's sort of par for the course. So, you know, the KTM Power Parts catalog has KTM branded adjustable rear sets that you can throw on there to gain some more clearance or opt for one of the many aftermarket solutions that exist. But, you know, if you're really an occasional track day person and you want to ride this bike on the street, it's going to be totally cool. If you're hardcore into the track day thing, racing, yeah, you know, throw some rear sets at it. And you'd probably be doing that anyway. So, yeah, that's where we're at with the ergonomics. And that's sort of the, the cool thing too, is it, it feels like a properly sized bike. Whereas the Ninja 400, the R3, they do feel a bit smaller, a bit more compact. This is much closer to an average size motorcycle. Wow. It really is very impressive what they've done, the various upgrades. Of course, in the back of my mind, I'm sitting here thinking, these, there's a whole bunch of significant upgrades here. So therefore, this bike has got to be a lot more expensive than it was. Um, and, you know, probably a lot more expensive than its competitors. What's your, what's your sense on the pricing with it? Pricing-wise, it's still affordable overall. It is more expensive than the rest of the motorcycles in its class, we'll say. Um, its direct competitors are a few hundred dollars cheaper. Base price starts at five seven nine nine, so fifty eight hundred bucks. Whereas the R three and Ninja four hundred are just barely cresting into that five thousand range, depending on the um, you know colorway that you get and things like that. So yeah, you get more bike in terms of the electronics, um, some more sophistication in terms of the braking and suspension, and you do have to pay several hundred bucks more, but, you know, not a thousand dollars more and things like that. Um, the quick shifter that we mentioned before, that is a, an optional accessory. That's 180 bucks. So you can throw that in there, you know, and, um, go from there, but yeah, it is a little more expensive. You do get a lot more sophistication in terms of the electronics, the seating position, the braking potential, things like that. So in, in a lot of performance categories, you do get more. Sure. But at the end of the day, it's still an entry-level motorcycle or a relatively entry-level motorcycle. So um, just by the very nature of it, it's going to be a lot less expensive than, than uh, yeah. these, these bigger machines, which are obviously yeah. for younger people, they're incredibly expensive to insure and, and what have you. So I think there's probably a lot of young riders that, um are still in these entry level sized bikes but wishing that they had higher specifications and so i think there's a lot to be said for maybe 
spending a few, you know, a, a little bit more money, but you're still spending, even with the quick shifter, you're still spending less than six grand and you're getting, you know, super bike level features on an entry level bike. Well, it's not, you know, quite directly comparable. I would venture to suggest that uh, somebody who does spring for one of these is probably going to be quite happy with it for a lot longer in their riding career than they other, otherwise would be because they've got, they've got all these better features. So yeah, I mean, everybody's perception of value is different, but I don't know, it seems like this is a smart move by KTM and a really nice bike. Yeah, you know, it, it definitely ups the level in terms of uh, you know, features in the lightweight class, and that's going to give Yamaha and Kawasaki specifically something to think about with their next generation of Ninja 400 or uh, YCF R3 or whenever they get updated. Um, you know, the last thing that we should probably touch on is just the 373cc single cylinder engine. I did briefly mention it a couple of times, but never really engage it directly. As we mentioned before, it is the same engine uh, from prior generations. There is a new airbox, and that does change the fuel mapping um, along with the exhaust, which looks a little bit different these days. Um, so no big changes there. Some significant ones to me worth mention, but in terms of characteristics, uh, it's still kind of this, what I describe as, you know, a tenacious little ankle biter. And, um, you know, it's, it's fun, unintimidating. You can really just spool the thing up and, and kind of, you know, get in as a high RPM. And that's, that's where I think it really likes to live. That's sort of where it excels. Um, again, you're dealing with acclaimed horsepower numbers of 44 horsepower and then 27 foot-pounds of torque. So, you know, right in the ballpark of its competitors. Um, I would say the Ninja 400, you know, has, has some more gumption to it. It also has an extra cylinder because it's a parallel twin. So, sure. yeah, the 400 is going to be a little faster outright. It's going to have a little more torque and kind of a broader spread of power. But the KTM's not not bad in any regard. And, you know, this is the type of bike where you can use that power and kind of gel with it, understand how to carry greater corner speed, how to, you know, downshift aggressively, how to trail break, learn all of those sport riding fundamentals that carry through to bigger machines. And if you build them here, then they're going to pay dividends when you bump up to things that are higher horsepower and uh, kind of stepping up the risk fast factor as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, this engine is totally unintimidating while being super fun, in my opinion. So, you know, that kind of wraps it up in, in, in that regard. But overall, I mean, KTM's changes here have some pretty big benefits. You have a roomier cockpit. The handling is just, you know, I, I would say in, in the lightweight class, it's sublime handling, plus you have the adjustable suspension. You know, the only hiccups are really the shifting and that's at a, in a, you know, in a pretty extreme scenario, but if you're looking to get a track bike and, you know, something that you can really learn the ropes on, even if you're an advanced rider, um, I'd recommend doing it or, you know, you're getting into the sport bike thing and you want to ride something around at the racetrack and the street, the RC 390 is a nice, nice little addition to the lightweight class. And, um, it kind of sounds like you've got to do story with the Ninja 400 and the KTM again. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds like they've done a really good job. I'm, I'm very impressed. Very impressed. All right. Hey, thank you for your time. I 
greatly appreciate your insight into the new KTM RC390. Yep, cool. Thanks. 2022 is the 100th anniversary of Schuberth helmets, head protection technology made in Germany. The DOT version of the new C5 launches this June and it offers a revised fit with customizable inner pads for comfort, increased ventilation with a new chin air intake and rear exhaust spoiler, increased safety with a new EPS material and anti-roll-off system, and a locking mechanism to hold the chin bar open. It's also pre-wired for the new SC2 communication system offering mesh by Senna. Learn more about the all new features at shoeberth.com. The new Shoeberth C5, endless evolution. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of super sport machine. It's called Our World and the all new Yamaha YZF-R7 is your gateway. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true super sport performance. Take a closer look at yamahamotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. In this second segment, I chat with automotive and motorcycle industry icon, Gordon McCall. Gordon is the director of motorsports at the Quail Lodge and Golf Club in Carmel Valley, California. This weekend of Saturday, May the 14th, sees the annual Quail Motorcycle Gathering restart after its COVID-forced hiatus. Having attended every one of the previous motorcycle gatherings, personally, I'm very happy that the event is back on schedule. Gordon chats about the event and a little of what's happening this year. It's a great event, and if you feel like a trip to the gorgeous Quail Lodge in Carmel Valley, you'll get to meet Gordon, guest of honor Roland Sands, and of course a large number of stunning motorcycles too. You must be really excited that it's sort of risen like a phoenix from the ashes of COVID. Yeah, exactly. You know, we're all so thrilled on, on this end, not just as as motorcyclists, but uh, just the idea of being able to get people back together again. You know, three years is a long time, Arthur. It, it really is. And that's how long it will have been. It's so strange, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember the last one, obviously, very well. Um, you know, and I'm so glad it isn't the last one. I, well, I know. And, you know, it's it's interesting because a, a lot of shows have have gone away, um, quite frankly. I mean, there was a there was a trend there prior to covid uh, anyway. Um, you know, it's 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 a tough that's a tough world. It, it really is. And so I have to tip my hat to uh, not just to Quail Lodge, but specifically the Peninsula Signature Events Office um, for for sticking with it and moving it forward. You know, it's just amazing. Courtney Ferrani runs the office and she does an amazing job. And there's been a lot of pent up interest within the office as well, you know, cause it's, it's been the start, stop, start, stop thing. And uh, she kept everything on the rails. And uh, you know, we had a wonderful car show last year in August, which brought things back to life. And then it became all hands on deck. Let's do this motorcycle show again. So here we are. That's terrific. So is it going to take the same format as, as all the previous shows or is, is there anything you're planning to do a little different maybe? Well, yeah, you know, we've done a couple of tweaks uh, ticketing wise, 
okay. uh, which was uh, pretty much based on a survey that we did uh, after the 2019, actually after the 2018 event as well, Arthur. Uh, we got some feedback and it's really interesting because, you know, you know, the motorcycle world as well or better than I do. And, wow. uh, you know, folks are used to uh, at times, uh, you know, buying a, a $10 ticket to go to a motorcycle show in an auditorium at a at a you know school gymnasium or so, no disrespect to any of the other events out there. But, you know, there was so our ticket price um, and this was only coming from people that hadn't attended the event. You know, we got viewed as, oh, you know, that's kind of an expensive ticket is ninety five dollars or, you know, whatever, whatever. It, I think it's ninety five, ninety, ninety five dollars. Right. But that included lunch, though. Well, yeah, it, it precisely, um, you know, park your motorcycle front row and center uh, valet gear check um, on the beautiful grounds of a luxury resort um, where everyone there is uh, is is a welcomed and uh, appreciated guest. Uh, that filters out throughout the property, the 900 acre property at Quail Lodge and Golf Club. You know, they're in the hospitality business at Quail Lodge and nobody does it better. And so, right. you know, the people that seem to think that that ticket price was maybe a little strong are, are people that hadn't been there, haven't experienced it. So what we ended up doing this year, to your point about the meal being included, is that we've offered a two tiered system. So for $55, you can buy an admittance ticket, which gets you the gear valet and preferred parking and all of that. Okay. You just, we've got four food trucks that will be there and you can purchase your, your food separately or not. It's up to you. I think that's a smart move. Okay. Well, and interestingly though, uh, it, it, it seems like everybody's buying the regular ticket because they, they, they like that experience of that all inclusive, you know, it's you, you're a part of the show. You're not just attending a show. Right, um, right. Which has always been our goal. And I'm, I'm hoping that you have felt that over the years that, you know, it's a very inclusive affair. I, I know when we first came up with the idea, oh. people were, um, I don't want to say miffed, but I, I've always, I feel fortunate in that my personal interest in motorcycles, which runs deep, have, have really been broad. And I view that as the motorcycle community. Sure. It, it's not about, you know, one or two interests or three or four. It's about it's such an interesting arena, you know, whether it's Grand Prix racing or choppers or custom builds or baggers or you go down the line, dirt bikes. I mean, it's there's no end to it. And from day one, we've always been very inclusive of all the interests and, you know, kind of looks odd on paper, Arthur. I think you'd agree. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute, you're honoring a Grand Prix star here, but you've got a bunch of custom built bikes. Like, how does that work? Well, they're two wheels, you know, and that's our common thread, right? It really is. I mean, motorcycles, motorcycles, I've always felt that motorcycles are the, are the great leveler. Um, oh, yes. We, I, I've lost count of the number of guys that I've, I've sort of made friends with and, and mm -hmm. I've been, you know, riding with and what have you. And I suddenly discover that he's, you know, the CEO of some, you know, company. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa, I had no idea. Know. You, you know, or, or, or he, you know, he drives a dumpster truck. Right. Who knows? Who cares? It, it runs the whole gamut. At the end of the day, we're all just motorcycle enthusiasts. Yeah. And, and like you said, there are so many different types and different genres. It's, it's. I always felt the quail's a great way to sort of wrap all, around all of the different genres, as you just touched on. You know, to your point, Arthur, uh, I, I find that the vintage, particularly the vintage motorcycle world, reminds me a lot, I, I live in the car world as well. Uh, it reminds me a lot of the way the vintage car world was about 30 years ago. Oh, really? Um, and it's no disrespect to the vintage car world, but you know, things have really become 
And we can thank the media and the auction companies. And there's been a real emphasis on what things are worth, right. what cars are worth. You know, that seems to be a driving force behind, you know, any successful auction. The first thing you hear is, well, how much did the GTO go for? Or how much did the XYZ go for, right? In the bike world, it seems like that's the last thing that comes out of any of our mouths. It doesn't have anything to do, quite frankly, with what something's worth. Right. It's got everything to do with the camaraderie and the feeling that that bike gives you and your friends and family, et cetera. It's a little more intrinsic and uh, it's, I enjoy that. It's a little more visceral, really. It's almost totally. motorcycles. Nobody buys a motorcycle with their head. I mean, let's be honest, no. nobody does. No. It's all no. with our heart. And you see a bike and it speaks to you for no good reason on, yeah. on the green. It's so true. It's so true. And, and, and again, you know, and you get, yeah. Yeah. And you get home and, you know, and it's the old story of, you know, my biggest fear is that when I die, my wife's going to sell my motorcycles for what she thinks I paid for. <laughs> <What you're doing. laughs> you know? exactly. and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, motorcycles are very, uh, are very interesting like that. So, so how, how did this all start? I mean, the quail's been going for what, close to 20 years now? Well, no, so that's our, that's the car show in August that we do. Uh, we're, we're coming up on our 19th year this August of, right. of that event. The motorcycle show is, you know, it's funny since day one, we've included motorcycles in the quail motorsports gathering, the car show in August. We've had motorcycles there since day one. Sure, okay. And it's, it's a little self-serving. Uh, you know, as I'd mentioned, I, I, like a lot of us motorcyclists, I was a bike guy before I was a car guy. I, <laughs> right. At, at, at 14, I had a Honda 90, uh, you know, an, an unauthorized purchase, um, <laughs> unknown by my folks, right? It's such a common story. So I, I started with motorcycles. That evolved into cars and a career in the vintage car world. Uh, but I've never I've never looked back on motorcycles. I mean, I've got like you far too many and, you know, there's no end to it. Right. So where where this idea came from, it was a bit of a initially what we thought was going to be a collaboration with our good friend, Jared Zog, who had okay. a very successful. Um, that was the legend of the motorcycle, wasn't it? From at the Ritz Carlton. Yes, I remember that Half Moon Bay. Yep. Jared and, and Brooke kind of single handedly put motorcycles into a, an arena, for lack of a better word, into a venue, into a setting that, at least in the U.S., motorcycles had not appeared in before. You know, right. beautiful backdrop of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel up in Half Moon Bay. And they did the show for two years. Um, right. And it really put a bright light on the, the vintage motorcycle world. Um, unfortunately, the venue, the partnership with the venue was was not good. And I, I, without getting too into the weeds, I also think that the costs associated for the Zogs for producing that event, just, you know, they, they had to pay talent, for instance, the, 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 the big names that showed up and so forth. There was a lot of that was paid for by the company. And that's a hard, unsustainable, at least in the motorcycle world, it's really a tough business model. I also feel like the quail is is geographically more accessible. Well, it is. A lot of the motorcycle industry is based in Southern California and just being in the Carmel 
sort of region, Half Moon Bay is just that extra step further for everybody. Well, it's a little bit of an island out there on Half Moon Bay. You know, there really isn't a supporting community, um, certainly nothing like the Monterey Peninsula in those regards, Arthur. And I think also, uh, with no disrespect to the Ritz-Carlton up there, but when you put your vintage motorcycle, which has a lot of uh, unfinished, non-clear-coated alloy components on it, when you when you put that on the ocean's edge for a day. <laughs> the last one, I think, was pretty windy, I think. In- it was. It was. A little windy and a little cold. And we're all kind of wandering around shivering, you know. Exactly. And your 100-point show bike all of a sudden, you know, had fuzz growing on it from... Uh, the various alloys that were being attacked by the salt air. So right. what we thought we were going to do is is essentially uh, partner with with them. And, you know, hey, what, we've got an idea. You know, we know we know this world. At that time, we'd produced a very successful car, car event in August. So why don't you, you know, why don't you just join, you know, we'll 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 do this with you. Right. You know, we like the May calendar date. Uh, Monterey Car Week in August is, is a little chaotic. Um, it's pretty much terminal velocity or, you know, maximum capacity, whatever you want to refer to it as, the peninsula gets very full. Whereas in May, it's a very pleasant time to be on the Monterey Peninsula where you can go to the aquarium or, you know, there's there's lots to do and lots to see. And, you know, with complete understanding, they ended up just saying, you know what, we're, we're done. Uh, that They they were happy with what they'd established and just wanted to call it quits. Yeah. So um, we just decided, you know what, let's just do this on our own. Yeah. And so... That's with the full support um, of the parent company, uh, Hong Kong Shanghai Hotel Group, um, which owns the Peninsula Hotels worldwide. Um, Quail Lodge is one of their properties. Uh, with full support of the company, um, they said, let's, let's do this on our own. So for 12 years now, and it's kind of hard with these gap years <laughs> to figure out, is this our 14th or is this our 12th? So, right. so we're calling it the 12th annual. So for 12 years now, we've produced this event in May. When I say we, uh, the Quail Lodge and Golf Club has on, on property uh, a separate division, the Peninsula Signature Events Division, that's run by Courtney Ferrani. And she does an amazing job. Uh, it's full-time staff. You know, it's, it's a big task to pull this off because it's not just a motorcycle show on Saturday. Sure. We have a hundred mile ride on Friday. We have a dinner, a gala dinner associated with that. We have the show on Saturday. There's, there's a lot of uh, a lot of infrastructure involved in it. It's it's a big affair. Sure. The other thing I've always in, enjoyed about it are, are the various experts that you sort of bring bring in, and <laughs> I mean, I, I actually I include yourself in that, of course. But but um, do you have anyone sort of interesting emceeing this uh, this year? Of course, you know, Paul Dorlins is, is such a dear, dear old friend. And Paul was one of the first people I asked to get involved. And, you know, anybody in the motorcycle world knows knows who Paul is. And if you don't, you, you'll recognize the guy with the crazy shoes and, and outfit. He is uh, the vintage end, yes. And arguably um, the most knowledgeable vintage motorcycle friend that I have. There's two of those. There's there's Paul, who acts as our MC. Uh, we're also pulling in Brian Fuller. Uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. Brian's a custom builder that's, uh, he's got a couple television shows out that are, you know, he's very charismatic, very approachable, friendly, super nice guy, really, really knowledgeable of motorcycles. He works the microphone quite well as well. Uh, He's going to give us a hand, but I think almost more, or not more importantly, equally importantly, is our chief judge, Summer Hooker. Okay. And his real name, Summer Hooker. (laughs) Perfect. I love it. Summer is from Tennessee and Summer is an amazingly knowledgeable 
expert. And most importantly, he's, he's kind of become the ambassador for Concours, motorcycle Concours, really throughout the world. He does it all over right. in the UK. Uh, he's very involved at Barber. He's involved with the Radner Show. He's, he's very much the expert. And what I've learned over the years is it's best for me to stay out of the judging side of things, you know, <laughs> right. um, I, we, and I think you would agree, Arthur, motorcycle folks, you're in one camp or the other. There's plenty of people that really enjoy having their motorcycle judged by a team of experts. Um, and then there's people that, that don't care. They, they really, they really don't. They just want to display their bike. So we get both. And so we line up, uh, I think it's somewhere in the 40 to 50 judges or so that summer organizes. It puts judging teams together and we work off the hundred point system and there's real judging that goes on at the quail. Or like I said, you can, you can just show up and display your bike as well. So I understand that Roland Sands is involved this year. Yes. He's our, he's our honoree. He's our legend of the sport. As a matter of fact, Roland's a good friend and I've, inter I've uh, renamed him Rolling Sands because we've rolled him over now three years in a row. So every year I keep saying, Roland, so can we roll you over to next year? And then we'd cancel. And then, you know, can I roll you over to next year? So he is rolling sands now. But, you know, and actually Roland's coming with his whole family. You know, it's really neat, too. We've reunited um, that wonderful chopper that his dad, Perry, built. Um, what did he call it? The Peyote Puffer. It was a 46 Indian. That's the motorcycle. They did it as a father and son event. That's the business that launched performance machine business. For the Sands family, so they're bringing the motorcycle. His sister's coming. The whole family's coming. It's going to be a lot of fun. So Roland will be there. So Roland is the honoree. He's the honoree. Yep. Yep. So he'll do a little speaking at our dinner, and he'll be there on the. Show. I'll interview him on the stage, like we've done with all the all the former honorees. And you know, it's just it's also we're kind of playing a little bit to a younger audience with Roland. You know, I mean, we've had we've had Eddie, Kenny, Wayne. I go down the list of. Mert and, and Gene Romero, we've had so many great legends, but they definitely, they kind of, uh, you know, appear in more or less our age group. And so I, the year I did Arlen Ness, uh, which I'm very grateful for having done that because sadly he didn't, he wasn't with us much longer after that. Um, but we've got his whole family involved and, you know, the whole custom world is really a big, big active component of the motorcycle industry right now. And, and Roland, you know, with the baggers and with the hooligan and the, all the rest of it, Roland is very relevant right now. Yes, he really is. And like you say, he appeals to the next generation. And yes, really, and we, I, want to, we want to bring the next generation in. It's all part of your in inclusivity, which I love. I feel a obligation to do so. You know, it's uh, we got to pass the torch. You know, parents are just unfortunately, you know, the scars on the chins are all things that we grew up with. But nowadays, it seems like people are afraid to let their kids ride motorcycles. And so it's up to the rest of us to keep it pushing. You know? Yeah, one of the, one of the, the things I've always liked about it is, is it's not all just a sort of, you know, retro sort of thinking in the past. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, I mean, a lot of stunning vintage machines and and more sort of recent uh, that certainly don't qualify as vintage, more sort of classic style machines from from the 70s and the 80s and what have you. But there's also some forward thinking machines. I mean, a couple of years ago, you had a Triumph Streamliner yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and I've always enjoyed that aspect of it. The fact that it's sort of like, as you said earlier, everything's so inclusive. It's, 
you know, I think it's very interesting that, that, that things are so forward. Well, I think it's, again, I think it's representative of, of the motorcycle world. You know, uh, there are plenty of people that will get locked into their one brand that they're that they've lived their whole life. Triumph, Norton, you, you name it, right? That's all. And then there's uh, there's plenty of people that just are into all of it, you know. And so that's really what our show is about is is representation of of all of it. And so Grand Prix racers, motocross bikes electric motorcycles i mean that's that's coming whether right. we like it or not right right um yeah, future designs you know one of our longtime partners is keanu reeves uh, with his arch motorcycle company and, and they're coming oh. back and you know these are bespoke one-off hand-built but modern motorcycles so it's yeah. not just vintage to your point there's there's yeah. a little bit of everything yeah yeah i've i've uh i've always always uh found that interesting i like the fact that you can walk around and like you say you might be into one particular brand or one particular style mm -hmm. but you you there's so much on display that you can you can really appreciate the others and even though you can sit there and you can say to yourself well it's not really my kind of thing right but man i really like that yeah you know i i, I really enjoy that so do, do typically how many how many motorcycles do you have any idea how many motorcycles are going to turn up or we'll have about 350 altogether. wow yeah, it's a it's a it's a fair amount. It's almost too many to see in one day. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of motorbikes, especially when you start talking. You know, when something does catch your eye, and you start talking to the the, the folks that built it, um, you know, you can spend an hour with with one bike. For sure, uh, it's not hard to do. So there, you know, there are a lot of bikes. We always like to feature. We have some special categories. We have our, our traditional classes, and then every year we mix it up. It's been a little awkward this year though because we had some significant 50 year anniversaries well now they're 52 year anniversary <laughs> <laughs> right. we, we missed a couple of years but right. uh, we've got a wonderful group of harley davidson xr 750s um, i personally have always been a fan of the xr you know it's such a dominant race bike sure. you know when you think about it in terms of of racing just in general automotive or motorcycle i mean yeah you know they're still winning races with xr 750s 50 years later you know right. um it's kind of nice to see the indian harley war back on with uh indian now <laughs> kind of hand it to harley on the flat track series but uh so we've got the harley xr 750s we've also got a slew of bmw slash fives coming you know the slash five is such a popular bike it's such a customizable motorcycle. They're so approachable. They're reasonably priced. Um, yeah. That's another thing about the bike world that I think is really intriguing. That's becoming less and less available in the in the car world. Is the barrier of entry is is just so much lower in the motorcycle world. You know, if if you can fog up a mirror, you can afford. You know, you can go on eBay and buy a a, a motorcycle that runs for not a lot of money, and get feet wet and then if you've got any mechanical inclinations you know you can you can learn a lot about how to make something better uh, whereas in the car world eh, anything neat is kind of pricey these days you know one of the biggest problems with with car collecting is is literally space yeah my best friend daniel schoenwald who i'm sure you probably know quite well yeah. um is now up to i think about 180 motorcycles or so and he always says he said, even though I could afford to get involved in the car world and actually has a couple of really nice cars, he said, I, I, I don't have the space for them. He said, 
but I got, right. you know, I've got some space and I can fit a couple of hundred bikes in there. It's so true, isn't it? So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting that I think, you know, the old adage of, you know, what's the, the perfect number of motorcycles in a collection? Just one more. I just remember from my Rob Report days, the, the, any collector that I spoke to really the the limit to their collection was always the amount of space they had. Really and eventually they would get to a point where they were like, I'm going to have to get rid of something. I don't really want to, but I'm going to have to get rid of something because I really want to buy something else. Exactly. Yeah. It's always the great excuse or the great reason for creating space for more is, is uh, you get into the horse trading, you know, it, it, <laughs> right. very familiar with it. Yep. Right, right, right. But of course the quail gathering is outside. Mm -hmm. It's on the golf course. Yep. It's on how many acres? Well, so the, the property itself is 900 acres and we utilize the right. entire driving range. You know, we, we basically, we, the, the whole property gets incorporated um, with it. You know, there's, even though the show itself is, is centralized on the, on the driving range here, it's beautiful rolling grass, just stunning, Gorgeous. quite frankly. It yeah. really is yeah. a wonderful clubhouse uh, right behind it. Um, and then we have, you know, we utilize the lobby of the hotel as well. Uh, we've got a great bar there. This, it's a real happening. You know, there's uh, the dinner. We have a dinner for about 130 people or so that's in our ballroom that pl takes place Friday night after our 100 mile ride. I take 100 motorcycles out for a 100 mile ride, which includes a few laps at Laguna Seca, which is always, always entertaining because there's a real, that's awesome. real mix of talent in that group of 100, 100 <laughs> motorcycles. You know, but, uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's always entertaining. But we've uh, we've got a pretty clean record over the years, so we'll keep it going for sure. Um, you also uh, sort of typically have had an auction there, and actually Daniel has bought a couple of nice motorcycles out of the auction. So are you doing that this year? Well, you know, we, we've got a wonderful partnership with Bonhams. Right. And Bonhams has a major auction in August that they that they hosted our, on our property. The only drawback, and it, it was actually that, is it was a, a little bit of a distraction because Bonhams wanted to operate the auction at the same time that we were running the show. And we we're kind of stepping on each other in doing so. And so we thought eh, it's not really working because, you know, now the auction is starting and so is our awards show. So we're kind of pulling people apart, which didn't seem fair. Right. So we decided, you know, let's just have it be a show and we'll just go with that. So we, we abandoned the auction idea a few years ago. Okay. All right. So if, if somebody is, is wandering around and they see some specific motorcycle there and they decide that, that their mission in life is to own that or something similar, how would they go about perhaps sourcing that or, or finding something similar? Or The stories that come out of that show are quite frankly priceless. It, just about every one of those 350 motorcycles is, is for sale, whether the owner knows it or not. <laughs> right. It starts with conversations, right, Arthur? I mean, that's the way it works, right? So you see, motorcycle you like you start talking to the people that own it next thing you know you know deals are happening i, I cannot tell you how many motorcycles have changed <laughs> at that show yeah you know with no for sale signs it's just the nature of the motorcycle arena it just is when like minds start to compare ideas then you know then they start exchanging things and yes i'm sure well it, and i think i think the just kind of the core, the, the soul that's connected in the motorcycle world is, 
it's so authentic. You pointed it out earlier. It's so authentic. It's so genuine. It's so real. I mean, I've got a wonderful, I don't know if you have time for a quick backstory, but. Oh, no, please, yeah. So you're familiar with um, with Moto America? Yeah. Yeah, the Superbike series, right? So a good friend of mine and actually a neighbor, uh, I'm in a industrial park that we built a couple of years ago here in Monterey. My immediate neighbor is, uh, is three-time world champion, Wayne Rainey, and one of my oldest friends. So yes, I, I know him. Wayne, is, he's, we've featured his bikes at the Quail over the years and so forth. I knew Wayne was kind of itching to, to, you know, he retired in 93. Um, I, I knew he wanted to get back into the motorcycle world at some level. So that was in the back of my mind. Gentleman came up and brought a beautiful, beautiful custom-built Triumph motorcycle that was just stunning. It turns out it was built by a guy named Richard Pollock, who's known as uh, Mule. He's had bikes on the cover of all kinds of magazines over the years. He's, his, his craftsmanship is amazing. Well, Richard comes up with this beautiful bike. I've got Wayne there, another mutual friend, Terry Cargus, who's the executive director at the Peterson Museum. I thought, you know, these guys need to know each other. There's some really neat stuff going on here. Right. Well, long and short of it, to cut to the chase here, is that's where Moto America was born. Oh, wow. Was those guys meeting each other at the Quail Show. They ended up coming over to my office maybe a couple of weeks after that. We all got back together again. I've got a TZ750 in my in my office. Actually, downstairs. I've got a little bull taco here. Right. But, um, I've got a TZ750 downstairs. And we started talking about how come there isn't a modern version of this bike? You know, such a dominant road racer. I mean, there was an 11-year period of time. If you weren't on a TZ750, you weren't going to win the Daytona 200. Oh. Uh, so really dominant bike. And so Rich is looking at it. Turns out he used to work on the factory Yamaha team. Obviously, Wayne's a factory Yamaha rider. Richard Varner is a passionate collector and uh, really a keen motorcyclist. So here we're all talking about this. Next thing I know, a custom build comes out of it. That's the motorcycle that was on the cover of Cycle World a few years ago now. I think Moto America is now about six years old. That bike, I mean, it's all a, a side note of what started at the Quail was just this getting these guys together. Next thing you know, they take over Moto America, takes over AMA road racing in the, in the States. To Wayne's credit, it's not enough for him just to be a three-time world champion. He wants to be involved in finding the next American world champion. Right. And Last weekend, Joe Roberts in Moto3. Bought him out. Won the race. Took the win. The product, yeah. Product of Moto America. So I'd say that the, the vision is uh, is being seen through, which is really neat. Um, it's those type of things that come out of this show that, on one hand, they're intangible. On the other hand, they're kind of meant to happen, you know, and it's right. just people talking with each other. And a lot of that goes on in the bike world. Yeah, you're so right. It's... Um... As much as, as you know, sort of social media and you know, video chats such as this have sort of tightened the world up, where we're able to connect with people in in very easy ways. At the end of the day, there's nothing beats just standing in front of a guy with with a motorcycle between you and yeah. just chatting. There's no substitute. And Arthur, you mentioned it earlier, you know, there's a lot of people, I, I know a whole bunch of them, uh, you know, super successful people that essentially hide in the motorcycle world. On come the jeans, the t-shirt, they're just another, they're just another enthusiast, right? No one's measuring what anyone's success is and what it's got nothing to do with it. It's like, you're an enthusiast or you aren't. And I also think to an earlier point that you had made, 
when we talked about the difference between the motorcycle and the, and the car world is you can't fake it in the motorcycle world. <laughs> right. You just can't. You know, you're, you're, you can't hop on the bike and pretend like you know how to ride it. And I'm not saying this with any disrespect, but I think we'd all agree, for instance, even vintage racing cars, you know, you can take a Can-Am car, you can park it in the corners and stab it down the straightaway. You can, you can make it happen, right? But try doing that on a motorcycle, <laughs> you know, in yeah. an Arma race. It's, it's, you're not gonna, it's not gonna work. <laughs> not, yeah, 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 so it's yeah. It's a little more authentic. You know, um, and I think a lot of the relationships associated with it are a little more authentic as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think so. I've been a been a motorcycle guy for a long time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's You're very, not going anywhere, is it? No, I mean, it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of it somehow gets into our DNA and and just kind of sits there. Um, and it's that's not yeah. to say there isn't room for other stuff, but motorcycle guys are just all of my friends and whenever people say, well, how did you meet him? I go, motorcycles. Motorcycles, yeah. <laughs> right. I, know. I can say the same almost every day. It, it really is. And yeah. uh, well, that's great. Well, I, I really wish you luck with uh, with uh, this, the the new version new of version. Quail. And, In the new world. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Quail, Quail Motorcycle Gathering 2.0. Exactly, and I was just joking with, uh, with Wayne earlier today um, you know, he's heading over to Goodwood. He's going to ride his, uh, he's going to ride his 500 up the hill in Goodwood nice. at festival speed, oh. which is just astounding. Oh, wow. Oh, I'd love to be there for that. Yeah. It's a, it's a very inspiring, you know, affair, which, uh, is going to be fun to look forward to, but I was just joking with him. I said, you know, uh, to be politically correct, you, you can't really say things like this, but at the quail, I would love to be able to say, could we just roll the clock back three years? <laughs> gas was you know 280 a gallon and right. <laughs> the world was a little different before this pandemic and the chaos that's ensued oh my gosh you know i think the good news though arthur is that no one told us during this crazy two-year two-plus year period of time no one told us we couldn't ride motorcycles well it's i mean talk about social distancing it's like the perfect way to social it is we're all cut out for it you know prior to right <laughs> You're, no problem you're wearing a full face helmet i mean it's really put a helmet on and go ride by yourself for days no problem do it all the time oh yeah yeah yes motorcycling uninterrupted i would say exactly exactly good well that's that's absolutely terrific so so uh if somebody um wants to to you know go to the quail is it too late is it booked out it's not too late at all just a simple web address just quaillodge.com there's a Peninsula Signature Events tab that's within the Quail Lodge website. Just go check it out and tickets are available online. Tickets will be available at the door as well. I know weather has a lot to do with people's decisions on whether or not they're going to hop on a bike or get in a car and drive somewhere. Um, right now, the weather's looking really great. Uh, we've had a little bit of rain, which we've needed here on the Monterey Peninsula, but it's looking pretty good these next couple of weeks. So. And the actual the actual date is next Saturday. What's that, the 14th? Isn't it? It's the 14th, correct. So Saturday the fourteenth. What if somebody wants to go on the uh, on the ride or the dinner? The ride sold out. Yeah. So that that typically happens every year. The ride sells out fairly early, and actually, that's kind of the insider's tip. Is it's I think it's the best value of anything. Is just sign up for the ride. You go to the gala dinner. Okay. There's actually a lunch after the ride. We all get together. We go to Rob Talbot's Moto Talbot Museum. Oh wow. Okay. That's worth a visit. Sure. Uh, it's just a really makes Friday a really fun day. And then this big gala dinner we have with guest speakers and all the rest of it. Um, 
and then Saturday it's the show. But uh, that is sold out. So 2023. But certainly the show is the show itself is obviously not sold out. And even oh. if somebody even if somebody isn't sure they want to go, if they decide they wake up on Saturday morning and they think, no problem, you know, what the heck? They're I'm going to the Quail. They are. They will be a welcomed guest. We'll have a spot for them. That's great. Yeah, another friend of mine, uh, chap Brian Carroll um, of uh, Motivational. He yep. organizes a ride from Moorpark to the Quail every year. And had a role and, in Why We Ride. Yeah, and he. Yep. Uh, and, and uh, raises money for charity there. Exactly. Is- Brian is tremendous. And he's uh, he scaled back the ride a little bit this year, but it's uh, for the better. It's it's a little smaller group, sure. uh, which is a little easier to, to, to herd, for lack right. of a better word. But yeah, Brian's great. I, what, I met Brian through through Why We Ride. I helped with some of the some of the road racers that are in it and then made a made a little appearance in it as well. But what a great documentary film that he put together. Uh, what a yeah, great guy. Yeah, he, he really is. Well, that's that's uh, that's excellent. I'm glad. So if somebody wakes up and they just get a wild hair and decide that they're off to the quail that day, they're going to be more than welcome and they don't have the time of their life. Come join us in Carmel Valley. Yeah, where it's uh, some beautiful roads around here. You know, I, I say this selfishly. I've lived here my entire life, but we've got we've got some amazing roads to ride. We've also got Big Sur Highway one, just some beautiful areas to get out on a motorcycle and have a good time. Gordon, hey, thank you so much for your time. I wish you a lot of luck with the event. Um, and uh, I'll uh, look forward to seeing how it all goes. Likewise, yeah. Thank you for the time. And uh, it's always great to speak with you. All right, thanks. Thanks. Thanks.